0: We're going to start a new series today in the book of Colossians, Colossians, and we're going to talk about an elevated mindset. We need to lift our thinking. We need to lift our thinking. So, passages passage of Scripture in Colossians that I want to look at, Colossians chapter 3, and this message translation. It's really an interpretation. I make a mistake in calling it a, it's not an accurate translation. It's an interpretation. And I said this last week, it's, I, I wouldn't go around building doctrine out of the message Bible or the passion Bible. Sometimes they can illuminate some things. They can illustrate the concepts of scripture. So I do read them when I study. I read a lot of multiple, um, multiple different translations, but I wouldn't build doctrine out of message But I really like the way that it kind of paints this picture of Colossians 3, 1, and 2. Look at this. It says, if you are serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorbed with the things that are right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. The book of Colossians, this letter to Colossians, it was written to a church and it was a small town, um, seemingly an insignificant little town. And th- this is a, uh, a new group of believers. It's a new church. And um, they haven't been around very long. They're getting established in their faith. And there's this thing that's moving through this little church at Colossae where they're being taught what would probably be called asceticism today. And he, he addresses this. He says, "Don't get caught up in this philosophy." And uh, that word philosophy there is—it's—it it's means Jewish sophistry. It's a this Jewish asceticism, and it's spiritual disciplines as a means to get to God. It's actually what he's dealing with: keeping all of the ordinances, keeping all of the festivals, keeping so all of these Jewish traditions. And he calls them the traditions of man. And he says, don't settle for those things, but get rooted in Christ. Be built up on Christ, right? Again, the works, the asceticism, the the spiritual disciplines apart from Jesus, the, the, the moral separation and all of these things that they were doing to strive in the flesh towards spirituality fall short. And he says, don't be led captive by philosophy, but get rooted in Jesus. Right? So he's writing to these folks, and he says, you need to get your eyes off of the things that are around you. Right? "Don't, Don't let this world, the philosophies of this world, the ideologies of this world cloud your thinking. Look up, right? Have you ever been in the fog? We were watching a, it was an old, I love those World War II era movies. We were watching this World War II era movie and there was this, um, uh, I don't know if you call it a battalion, a grouping of, of airplanes. They were getting ready to go over to France where the Germans were at and, and they were on a, a bombing mission and, and they were in heavy cloud cover and they, they don't know where the, the planes are in their formation. They're in a pretty tight formation and So the commander tells one of the guys on his airplane to shoot this flare up out of the plane. And uh, I mean, it literally almost hits the plane. It's right above it. I mean, they were literally feet apart. And as the clouds begin to clear, they realize how close they are. Have you ever been in that kind of a fog in life? Which direction do we go? How do we get through this? We, we've set our, our minds on so many things in this world that everything gets foggy. And we can't see the purposes of God any longer. We, we live in a world where it, it, it works this way. We trust Dr. Phil more than Jesus as Christians. We trust the latest social media influencer more than Jesus. We trust what we're feeding on on television more than Jesus. right? All of these worldviews coming in, and they cloud our thinking. We can't see the plans and the purposes of God. Don't allow this world to cloud your thinking. I want to read that same passage of Scripture in the NIV. It says, in Colossians 3, verse 1, in NIV it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. And and see, this is the thing. They're they're trying to go after this system. It's either life in the system or life in Jesus. We're either trusting the system or we're trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection. Right? If if you really want to live this resurrection, that's the way it it started in the message. If you really want to live this resurrection life, if you're serious about it, act like it. Stop trusting the system. Stop trusting in all these ideologies. And trust in Christ. Look up. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Right? He makes the this, this, this statement here twice. He uses this word set. Set your mind, set your heart on things above. Right? And it's, it's amazing as you read scripture how interconnected our minds and our hearts are. Do you know that you actually think with your heart? Do you know that? How many of you have ever had, uh, you, you, you make this statement, off the top of my mind. This is what I think. That's a very shallow thought. Off the top of your mind. How about a thought from the bottom of your heart? Right? That, that's something that you've contemplated. That's something that, that is Deep that you, there's conviction there. I've, I've been thinking about this, and this is how I really feel about this, right? From the bottom of my heart, this is what I think. There's, there's a difference. But our, our hearts and our minds, they work together. And, we, and the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? And, and science has actually proven this out today, that we actually use our hearts. There is thinking that transpires in our hearts. Science has proven that. Science bears that out. We think with our hearts as well as our minds. And and Paul is instructing this this Colossian church, stop looking at all that's going on around you. Look up, set your mind and your heart on the things that are above, the things that belong to Christ, the things of his kingdom. It's similar to what um, Matthew said, Matthew chapter six, verse 33. It's what Jesus said when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Set your affections there, right? And his righteous, righteous, righteousness, righteous living, and everything else is going to be added to you. We're so worried about all of the other things, but if we begin to set our mind, set our focus on Christ and his kingdom, everything else works out. That's reality. That, that's truth. So many of us in our, in our walk with Jesus are drifting. If we were a Christian rock band, we could be called the drifters. We're drifting. Our, our Christian walk, our Christian, we're on cruise control, right? How many of you have ever been out on the river or been on a lake drifting? You usually don't end up where you wanna go when you drift, do you? We don't, that, that's a reality. We never drift to a desired location. Paul said, I forget the things that are behind me. I'm pressing forward towards the price for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is a mark that God has set for us, for his church, for his people, for us as individuals. I believe that every every individual, every believer has a a God-ordained destiny and purpose that he's called us to fulfill. There's a mark for my life that Christ has set, and I want to strive towards that. I'm setting my sights on that. I don't want to drift through life. I don't want to live the the sera, sera, whatever will be, will be kind of lifestyle. No, there, there is a divine purpose that God has ordered, and I'm going to move towards that will. I'm going to move towards that purpose. Amen? We, we never arrive at a desired location when drifting. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. New Living Translation, he says, For our troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Check this out. Don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. I talked about this recently. I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks ago, but like, so there's a football game. Anybody know there's a football game on today? Right? How many Chiefs fans we got? Anybody is a Chiefs fan? Any Ravens fans? A few. All right, good. Not many fans. How many Jesus fans we got in here? How, how many of you remember who won the NFC championship in 1993? right 20 years from now 30 years from now we will forget who played today how much importance tomorrow some of y'all won't even know today some of y'all like who's even left in the playoffs i don't even know i don't care that's good that's all right yeah pam doesn't even know it's the playoffs How much importance do we put on sports? but how much importance do we put on so much other stuff in life? Do you remember those prophetic utterances from the talking heads on the news? I don't know. 2020 or 2024 or 2028 or 2016, all of the prophecies, if this person is elected, the world will come to an end. That's all past. We're all still here. God's kingdom still stands. What do we give the preeminence to in our lives? What are we seeking? What have we set our affections on? What is it that's encumbering us? Listen, we're going to, in this series, I I was telling our, our team this morning, In this sermon series, I will be an equal opportunity offender. And not on purpose. I'm not going to be an angry preacher. 2 Timothy 2, verse 25, talks about those who err. And it says, those who err oppose themselves. And the reality, every one of us in this room, and here's what it looks like to, to oppose yourself. You say, I'm in Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, But then I also buy into this ideology that's contrary to Christ. I trust in all of these other things that are contrary to Christ. And what's happening, I'm in Christ, but I'm believing these things, and I'm opposing myself. I'm in conflict with myself, right? And in one way or another, everybody in this room is at odds with themselves. So how do we deal with that? Paul says, be patient and kind when you encounter these people and be ready to instruct them in sound doctrine. So I'm not going to rage at all of the nasty philosophies that we're buying into. I'm just going to shine a light on them and expose them, which might make you mad. And I'm going to teach sound doctrine according to Jesus. Witchcraft that Christians practice. Idolatry. We have ideologies as Christians that are idols. And they are contrary to the ways and the purposes of God. I, I want to expose that. That's what Paul is literally doing in this letter. He's, he's take, these people have bought in hook, line, and sinker into this asceticism. And he is instructing them in Christ. He gives revelation of Jesus, the preeminence of Christ. That in him, the fullness of the God had dwelt bodily. Right? All of the wisdom of God was in Christ. So we don't have to go after all of these other wisdoms. The wisdom of the world. Paul, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to look at this in, in depth as we go through this sermon series. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he says to the Corinthians, he says, When I came to you, my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, Anthroponos uh, Sophia, Anthroponos Sophia, the, the wisdom of man. And he said, I did this on purpose so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man. But I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. In another place in Scripture, he would say that to the world, that is foolishness. Right? To the the Greeks, it is foolishness. To the Jews, it is a stumbling block. He preached the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, that was to those who were either unbelievers or immature. He preached this message, this foolish message of the cross there is a misnomer there's a misstatement that i've heard so many times in church that says that every time we should every time we preach we just need to preach the cross and preaching the cross is vital and important but they they use this to say that the only thing paul ever preached was the cross but if you look at that the the first 4 or 5 verses there he says that it, it was to those of you who have not yet believed or to the immature and then he goes on and he says but to the mature I preached the Sophia Theos, the wisdom of God. It's not just, and everything we preach is rooted in the cross, in the the finished work of Jesus Christ and what he has done. But from that, all scripture begins to make sense, and we begin to discern the wisdom that is in Christ. And part of good preaching, especially, listen, we need to understand that most of us gathered, most of us in this room today, are believers, right? And we, are, we should be mature. A lot of us in this room have been Christians a good portion of our life. We should be mature, and we should be ready to hear the wisdom of God. So often I hear this, though, that, Pastor, that was over my head. Good. Look up. I want to preach over your head a little bit. I want you to have to lift your perspective. Right, I learned this teaching junior high Sunday school for three years. Seventh, eighth, and ninth graders. I remember when the new kids would come into my class, I was a Bible college student, and I would just teach the things that I was learning. Teach, 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 teach. And I remember at first they would have these wide-eyed looks, like, what in the world are you talking about? But eventually their perspectives would lift, and they would begin to grasp truth. Right? We need to lift our eyes up. We need to see the wisdom of God in Christ, It matters. It matters. Everybody say set. Set. Fix your gaze, 2 Corinthians 4.18. Fix your gaze on the things that cannot be. Set your heart on things above, Colossians 3.1. Set your mind on things above, Colossians 3.2. Everybody say look up. Elevate your perspective. We need to lift up our eyes. We, We need to see. See, and, and he says that in the last uh, sentence there in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, we do not look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things which are seen now will soon be gone, but the things which cannot, we, we cannot see will last forever. What he's saying is, we need to, uh, our, 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 our priorities set on eternity. Because if our priorities drift, if we have our priorities set on things of this world, we'll miss it. We need to have our eyes fixed on eternity. We need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Set your heart, set your mind, set your sight. In Ephesians five and fifteen, he he, apostle Paul says it this way: Walk circumspectly. Walk with. This is what it means to walk with precision. To walk with purpose. We've set our minds on Jesus. And we're walking circumspectly. We're walking with a purpose. We're walking with direction. We're following him. Right? That's what, that's what it, this, this passage that we opened up with in, in the Message Bible, it's, it's what it's saying. Let's read it one more time. It's, it's so good. and We're going to hear this over and over again. If you're serious about living this res, new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along with your eyes to the ground. Absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Look up. All right. I want to read a portion of scripture. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. I'm laying foundation for what we're about to unfold here for the next uh, few weeks. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin to read in verse 1. I want to read a good, good portion of scripture here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren. That, that address right there is important. Paul, I think, does that on purpose because he realizes that he's, he's, he's dealing with some folks that don't think that they're a part of the family of God. They're trying to work their way into the family. They don't see themselves as holy people. That word saints, and that goes back through, through, through Jewish Uh, culture, it's this identification as the holy people of God, right? You don't have to die to be a saint. We're we're not going to judge your life to see if you performed a notable miracle so we can canonize you as a saint. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. Your life is hidden in him, right? You're a saint of God. If you've been born again, if his spirit's living in you, if you're his child, you are a saint, you are the holy people of God. And he addresses them as brethren. And it's, it's, it's a really a, a familial term here that you're, you're members of the family of God, right? He's addressing them as those who are a part of the body of Christ. You're not trying to figure this thing out. You're not trying to work your way into this. Your aesthetics aren't going to get you in. You're either in Christ or you're not. And if you're in Christ, then you're in the family. Paul, an apostle to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, we give thanks to God, to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying always for you. For since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints, because of, check this out, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Look up. There's a hope that we have. I mean we need a better hope. Not a hope of I uh, hope that I make it in. I hope my day is better today than it was yesterday. We we live with these little miserable expectations. Look at Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We talked a little bit about this last week, about the, I mean, the wonderful proof of this gospel, the resu- that, that it works, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension to the right hand of the Father, showing that the Father has accepted him, right? And his eternal dominion. He reigns today, yesterday, and he will reign forevermore. Amen? Amen? These are the, the glorious proofs that this gospel is true and effective and that the work of Christ is effective, right? We have a hope in heaven, amen? We have an eternal hope, not a hope in this world, right? That's what Paul's talking about. He said, if my hope was in Christ in this world only, I would be of all men most miserable, amen? But he has a hope in the resurrected, ascended, reigning Christ in a kingdom that's yet to come. He has an eternal hope, an eternal focus. He set his mind on eternity, He set his mind on Christ and his kingdom. That was his focus. And when we do that, man, we have an eternal hope. We have a heavenly hope. Everybody say, look up. Because our hope is laid up for us in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The gospel that Paul preached gave his listeners a heavenly hope. Amen? Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. We need a heavenly expectation. And he says, which has come to you in verse 6, as it has also in all of the world and is bringing forth fruit. Amen. Do you see the fruit of the gospel today? Thousands and millions of lives transformed by the power of the gospel. He says, "As, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, this Epaphras is an important character. He's actually Paul's uh, prison mate. He is locked in chains with the Apostle Paul for gospel ministry. And Epaphras is actually from Colossae. Some believe that he was the one who took the gospel to Colossae and established this Colossian church. But he is a fellow prisoner with the Apostle Paul, and he says he's our dear fellow servant. He's also a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Verse 8, Who has declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled. Look at the request that the Apostle Paul makes on on behalf of the Colossians, that they would be filled, look at this, with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're gonna come back to that in just a second. Here here would be the result of that. If they have the knowledge of God's will and spiritual understanding, they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all the might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." So that that prayer in verse 9 is a powerful prayer. I pray this prayer over people often. I pray that verse, the the ninth verse there. Pastor, I'm trying to figure out, you know, been dating this gal. Should I marry her? Should I not? Look at me like I'm going to tell them. Nope. I am not your mediator. God will show you. I'll give you some counsel. I'll give you instruction from Scripture. I may sure some of my life experiences, but I'm not going to tell you to marry her or not to marry her. Pastor, I'm thinking about moving. Pastor, I'm thinking about this job. Whenever people come to me with those things, I always pray this prayer over them. I pray that God would fill you with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I think the heart and the mind are in that passage. Wisdom. Wisdom. Put your hand on your head and say wisdom. Say, God, give me wisdom. You need it. I need it. I need a whole lot more wisdom than I've got. We need to ask often. Amen. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God will give it. Wisdom and spiritual understanding. When you've got wisdom and spiritual understanding, it sets you free to set the course. You will see clearly God's design. You will understand God's wills, his will. You'll understand God's ways. You'll understand how to walk. When we understand the will of God with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, we will walk and live lives that are circumspect. Right? Isn't that what he says? You'll walk pleasing to the Father. You will abound. You'll, you'll bear fruit in every way. You'll, you'll grow in the knowledge of God. That's what comes from that prayer. If you'll have wisdom and spiritual understanding, that's what's going to result, right? How does this come? Knowing Christ, knowing Christ, I've got like 12 more pages of notes and we're not going to get through all of them today. Can I read two more passages? Can I read four more passages? Can I read six more, eight more? Who'll give me 10, now? <laughs> two passages, two passages. They're passages with about 40 verses in, the- no, I'm just kidding. I've got so much that I- this, this stuff is burning on the inside of me. I've got notes, that I brought just in case. <laughs> they haven't made it into digital form yet. I got a couple pages of them. We're not going to get to those today. <laughs> just in case I wanted to go there. James. Everybody go to James. Anthroponos Sophia and Sophia Theos. The wisdom of man or the wisdom of God. From where do you want to live your life? You want to choose the wisdom of God or do you want to choose the wisdom of man? That was the decision in the garden. Either walk with God, have a relationship with God, and He'll be your source. Or you can go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can allow God to speak truth about good and evil. Or you can be the judge yourself. In other words, will you, will you, will you build your life on the sinking sand of your own understanding? Or on the solid rock of God's word? That was the decision in the garden. James chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. It gives us uh, uh, the, the uh, comparison of worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. I don't want to uh, expound on this too much today. I just want to read the word of God and let it lay a foundation for us. James 3, verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So just, just to introduce this, there, there, there is a wisdom, the wisdom of man, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of this age. What, what does that look like? It is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Let's ask ourselves the question, how often do we go and draw from that well? How often do we put confidence in the ideas of man these ideologies these philosophies how often do we go to those instead of trusting god verse 16 he says for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition there you will find disorder and every and evil of every kind that's that's the result when we choose that kind of wisdom that's the result disorder why is my life falling apart what well are you drawing from it's because you built on the shifty sand of worldly ideology and not on the rock of Christ. And here's the, here, here's the comparison. Here's the other option that we have, verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first of all pure. The wisdom from above. The, the, the word above there is anothin. It, it's the same thing. When Jesus said you must be born again, he said you must be ganeo. you must be regenerated, anothin. You must be born again. And it, it literally would translate, you must be born from above. Born anew. This, this, this word anothen, it means uh, from the beginning. How many of you know God's truth endu- it, it, it endures from the beginning and it will never change? That's the wisdom of God. It's from above and it's, it's eternal truth. Amen? Fixed above the heavens. The heavens and the earth will pass away. But not one jot or tittle of God's word, his truth, his light will pass away. It's stable. It's sure. Right? And we live in a world of relativity. Well, that's what you think. That's your opinion. That's, I, have, I have my opinion. Guess what? Next time, say this, don't, uh, next time somebody says that to you, don't say this out loud, but remember this. Not all opinions are equal. I'll give you an example of that. You're, you've got sickness in your body. Your girlfriend diagnoses you. <laughs> then you get a diagnosis from the nurse. And you get a diagnosis from the doctor. Not all opinions are equal right you know we need to and we're going to tackle this down the road here in a few weeks we need to put all of our opinions on the altar and put them to death Romans says don't boast in your own opinion who in the world am i you know what got adam and even in, in, in trouble them relying on their own opinion You know what got them in trouble? They they made a judgment that said this what I believe about it matters more than what God has said about it. That's original sin right there. And we still are biting that apple every day. Well, I don't agree with that. I know the Bible says. I know the Bible says you should spank your kids. I just don't agree with it. It's outdated. That's what people say, right? I believe the word. We don't have the right to make valued judgments on God's word. We have the joy and the privilege to obey and submit to it. I will never apologize for what the Bible says. I'll never make a statement that says, well, I don't really agree with this, but the Bible says. To do that would beneath, be beneath my calling. And as a minister of the gospel... Preach the word, preach the word, and it's a hammer, it's a hammer. Every one of us have some things that we need chipped off of us. We need the hammer of God to come knock the little barnacles off of our life. We bought this barnacle philosophy and this ideology and this mindset, these things are encumbering us like the ship in the ocean, Right? They bring those things in, into uh, dock. They will lift those things up out of the water and they'll send the guys in with the jackhammer to knock the barnacles off because those barnacles will literally slow those vessels down. Right? We have ideologies that we bought into. We have set our mind on the things of the world and it is encumbering our walk with Christ. Man, I've got so much more I want to say today. One more passage here. One more passage, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Teaching a little bit today. We need teaching and we need preaching. Teaching informs the head and preaching moves the heart. We need both. All right, Colossians chapter 2. I want to encourage, I, I want them to be encouraged. and look, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm in the wrong verse. Verse 6, that was verse 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 is where I want to be. As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. New Living Translation says it this way, you must continue to follow him. Are we following Jesus or are we following ideology? You know where some of the worst ideology comes from? Church. One of the things that God's really been dealing with me is the the witchcraft of some of the things that I saw growing up in church. Things we attributed to the Holy Spirit of God that was witchcraft. Control, manipulation, false prophecies. It's witchcraft, right? Religion, right? The traditions of men. Not everything you learned in church was true. How many of you are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come with his hammer and the word of God and chip all those barnacles off? I want that. Amen? If there is any kind of pattern in my life, any ideology that I've set up as fact, I want the Lord to come and strip it off. Amen? I want to live free. I want to walk in him. I want to continue to follow Jesus. I want to do what it says in verse 7. Be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. What, what kind of traditions and principles have we built our church life on that aren't really rooted in Christ? Something to think about. So those are the last two passages. Now I'm going to read a couple of scriptures as I preach in closing. <laughs> I can't resist myself. There's so much here. It's so good. It's so good to me. I love God's word. It's better than football. Your team's probably going to lose anyway. You're going to have a hangover after the game all depressed. Your quarterback gets intercepted and you're going to get depressed. Colossians 2 and 2. And this is it. All wisdom is in Christ. Colossians 2 and 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. You see that? In him lie hidden all the treasures... Wisdom and knowledge. All the wisdom that we need is hidden in Christ. It's our pursuit of Him through which we will attain it. We can go after religion, we can go after ideology, we can go after psychology, we can go after all of these things, and we can miss it. You can read your Bible and miss it if we're not careful. Start doing this. When you read your Bible, start saying, Holy Spirit, show me Jesus in here. Show me Jesus and my position in him. Show me Jesus and what that means to me, right? Not just the do's and the don'ts. That's one of the big concepts that we're going to see here in Colossians. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about a position in Christ that causes us to live life in the spirit and do the right things out of an overflow of God's grace. Not legalism and works and rigor, because when we look to Christ, who is the sum of all wisdom, here's what happens, and this is also in Colossians, there's power that emanates from him. And I just want to read a couple quick verses and we're done. Colossians 1:11 says, "I'm praying that you would be strengthened with all His glorious power." Isn't that good? This is the theme, the theme of the book. In, in verse 29, uh, uh, Colossians 1 and 29, he says, I'm work, working and struggling so hard, Paul says. But check this out, depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me. Don't struggle and work in your flesh and your ability and your mindset and your ideologies. Take hold of the wisdom of Christ and you'll find that his power comes. And as you're working, he's working. That's why Paul would say in, in, in Philippians with one breath, he says, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And another breath, shortly after that, he said, it is God who is working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen? Any work that we're doing apart from the Holy Spirit working in us is futile. Amen? It has to be in Christ. Our lives have to be hidden in him. He has to be the sum of all wisdom. We're looking to him for guidance, and and we're looking for him for for our leadership. We're not looking to other things. One more verse, and this is the last one, I promise. Colossians 2, 6. Well, two verses and seven. (laughs) I promise. We're done. Let's stand together. We're done. Let's, Let's stand. Let's stand. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Now... Now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built in him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. When we receive the wisdom of Christ, we walk in his divine power and in his enablement. Amen. Isn't that so much better than doing it our way? Isn't that so much better than wrestling in our own strength and striving in our flesh and trying to get it right and always getting it wrong and then being weighed down with guilt and shame, but just simply trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and all that he has done and seeking him, setting our mind, our eyes, our sight, our heart, everything looking to Jesus. That's where the action's at. That's where it's all about. I'm concerned about the things that he presides over. I'm not worried about the rudimentary elements of this world world give me jesus give me jesus give me jesus amen listen we didn't take an offering so be sure to deposit your offering in the receptacles in the back as you go or give online at returnchurch.org we're going to open up the altars in just a second and we're going to pray can we sing that song about i want jesus can we do that the last song of our worship set today. Let's all lift our voices and after we sing this chorus, I want to pray. Amen? And listen, if you, I haven't even started to uh, hammer away at the ideologies, but if you realize, hey, I'm trusting in some things that aren't Jesus, I want to encourage you today to come late on the altar. I'm putting off this mindset. I'm putting off this ideology. I'm putting off this philosophy that's hindering me from following Jesus, Him and Him alone. If you need to do that when we open these altars up for prayer come and do it. Amen.